do thank our brother for coming and bringing those messages in song. And uh, we do rejoice in our Savior this evening. And we thank God for the one who came to be our Redeemer and our Savior. And if you don't know him, we trust that you'll uh, come and seek the Lord tonight and uh, draw near into his saving uh, arms and uh, accept the Lord as your Savior and your Lord. I wonder if we could turn tonight in our Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 8, and we're going to read from verse 28. This being Remembrance Sunday, we are uh, thinking of that kind of a theme uh, again this evening, and we're looking at verse 28 of John, chapter 8. John's Gospel, chapter 8, and verse 28 then said Jesus unto them, When ye have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall ye know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things, and he that has sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. And he spake these words, many believed on him. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, if ye continue it in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We be Abram's seed, and were never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, ye shall be made free? Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin, and the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the Son abideth forever. If the Son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. Amen. We know the Lord will add his blessing to the reading of his precious word to all of our hearts. Can we unite at the throne of grace in prayer afresh? Our loving God and our gracious Father, we thank thee for the messages and song that we have heard tonight. We thank thee for Christ the Lord, and we rejoice in the one who came to be our Redeemer and our Savior. We thank thee for the one who came with that purpose of making us free. We thank, Lord, of the battle that he entered into. We thank, Lord, of the uh, warfare that took place there on Calvary. And we bless thee, that our Savior put his foot upon the serpent's head, and we thank that he arose victorious from the grave. And our Father, we pray that thou wouldst bless as we consider thy word tonight, and we pray that thou wouldst give true freedom to those that uh, come and put their trust in thee. We thank thee that whom the Son sets free is free indeed. So, Lord, bless thy word to our hearts, for it is in Jesus' precious name that we'd ask these things. Amen. I want to think about the words in verse 32 and verse 36. Ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. If the Son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. Joseph Goebbels, uh, full name Paul Joseph Goebbels, was born on the October the 29th, 1897 in Rett in Germany. He died on May the 1st, 1945 
in Berlin. He was the Minister of Propaganda for the German Third Reich under Adolf Hitler. He was a master orator and a propagandist, and he was largely responsible for making the Nazi regime acceptable among the German people. For a short time after Hitler had committed suicide, he was the Chancellor of Germany, uh, and they, just for a single day, and then he and his wife Magda and their six children poisoned themselves and they took their lives. Goebbels was the third of five children, uh, Frederick uh, Goebbels and a pious Roman Catholic, uh, who was a, a pious Roman Catholic factory t- clerk, and his mother Katerina. His parents brought him up uh, with a high school education. And he was very clever. He went eventually graduated from Heidelberg University in 1922 with a doctorate in German philology. Uh, Goebbels then went on to have a career, a literary career. He wrote a novel, a book, in the 1920s. But in that time, Germany was very nationalistic. They felt aggrieved at the settlement that had been made after the First World War, And many Germans felt that they had been hard done by and they were getting caught up in nationalistic ideals. Goebbels was uh, at first at university introduced to socialist and communist ideas. Um, At first he wasn't any way anti-Semitic. In fact, he dated a a woman who was a half-Jew at one time. But then he got involved in the National Socialist German Workers' Party, also known as the Nazi Party. He, uh, at first, uh, the Nazi Party was very much based in Bavaria, but he developed the party in Berlin and was very much a right-hand man to Hitler, and he was able to use his propaganda skills in order to make the uh, Nazi ideals Uh, that they would be acceptable. And when the Nazis came to power, Goebbels took control of the national propaganda machinery, a national ministry for public enlightenment, and propaganda was created, and they made use of music and culture, and they used uh, theatre and radio and films, and every kind of fine art in order to make their message well known. And he used the combination of modern media in order to get people as far as possible to accept the Nazi doctrine. Goebbels' uh, uh, propaganda skill was most uh, notably used when when the Nazis were defeated at Stalingrad. And he uh, began to... Uh, speak to the German people as if this was something that was planned, and he began to fashion a kind of a a narrative that said uh, these were the kind of things that happened in history, but that there would be a turnaround and that things would come around again, much as maybe Russia is doing with Ukraine at the present time. But they used all sorts of mother and child uh, nationalism, They used all of these kind of things, love of country. They used all of these things 
in order to foster their evil message. Now, Hitler uh, spoke in Mein Kampf his blueprint about Nazi propaganda, and he said propaganda must always address itself to the broad masses of the people. All propaganda must be presented in a popular form and must fix its intellectual level so that it's not above the heads of the least intellectual of those to whom it is directed. In other words, it is to be understandable. And then he said propaganda must not investigate the truth objectively uh, and insofar as it is favorable to the other side, presented according to the theoretical rules of justice. In other words, what he's saying is when something is favorable to the other side, just minimize that and maximize what you are trying to say. And then he goes on and he says, and repeat it and repeat it and repeat it. And if you repeat it enough, people will believe it. And that's one of Goebbels' great doctrines. He has the doctrine of the great lie, the big lie. If you have a lie that's big enough, if you repeat it enough, the people will believe it. And people believe the lie. And we recognize that even in the day in which we live. We have uh, all sorts of messages, propaganda that is going out today on the Russian side, on the Ukrainian side in the war. We have the propaganda about COVID. We have the propaganda about LGBT rights and transsexual rights, so-called. And we should not underestimate the power of uh, transgender uh, politics and identity politics that has been fostered today. There is a lie that is out there. We recognize this morning that the devil is the father of lies, and so we should not be surprised that there is a big lie out there. And the thing is that people are believing it. Now, we wonder now at this time how the German people, a sophisticated people, would swallow the lies of Nazism. But people are gullible, and that's part of what it said. Hitler said, people are simple. People forget very easily. People have forgotten about the troubles. They've forgotten about the IRA. They are willing to vote. The young people in the south of Ireland are willing to vote because they have forgotten all that has taken place in our land and the bloodshed and the tears and so on. And people swallow the lie. And that's why the Lord Jesus Christ came. And he said, if the Son, uh, he says, ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And men and women, uh, amongst the spin, and amongst the lies, and amongst the propaganda that we are being fed today, the most, one, the most vital thing is that we begin to know what is the truth. And the Lord said, Ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. If the Son, therefore, shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. And dear friend, thank God you can have real freedom. We think of the wars that were fought in the, uh, in the uh, pursuit of freedom and liberty. Dear friend, if you want real freedom, here is the answer. 
And I want you to look uh, at the true freedom that we can have in our meeting this evening. And first of all, I want you to see the truth that we can know. The Lord said here, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. That is a motto of many universities set over the doors and gates of many universities. It is, uh, but it's nothing really uh, to do with classroom learning as the Lord Jesus gave it. This is a higher form of learning. It's not capable of being learned in the classroom. This is spiritual truth. And I want, but I want you to see the existence of truth. Ye shall know the truth. And the Lord is saying then that there's such a thing as truth. Now, I would warrant that I'm speaking to you tonight and that you know that there is such a thing of, as truth. But I'm saying tonight that there is such a thing as truth because there are many in this world who would deny that there is such a thing as truth. Many would say, well, truth has been constructed by social processes and that your truth and my truth may be different. What you think is real, what I think is real is different. Others would say, well, there's different cultures of different truths and different ways of going. Some would say, well, whatever the largest number in society believes, that is the truth. But I want you to see that there is a basic thing here, and that is that there is an objective truth that we can go by. Now, in many will question that today. You think, there's nothing new in that. When Pilate was speaking to the Lord Jesus Christ, when he was faced with the truth of the Lord Jesus, he said, what is truth? And there are many who wonder what it is. But I want you to see we can cut through the propaganda today and we can see that in the Word of God and in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have the truth. You know, it's not, you're not going to find that in your own self. The Bible says the God of this world have blinded the minds of those that believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ should shine in unto them. And this truth is nothing that man can discover in and of himself. And what I want you to do tonight is to pray that God, in his mercy, would reveal the truth to you. Will you pray that? That you will see the truth. Surely, dear man, woman, you need to know the truth. If, the, if there is a truth there, then you need to know what it is. So will you pray that prayer that God, in his mercy, will reveal the truth to you? We see the existence of truth. But also want you to see the essence of truth. It's very obvious here that the Lord Jesus means that the truth is his precious word. If you look there in the portion of Scripture that we read, if you look at verse 31, he says, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And then he goes, And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So he's saying, My word is the truth. In John 17 and verse 17, he says, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So the Scripture, the Scripture that cannot be broken, is the truth that we have. We think of how the Lord Jesus too is the truth. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So the truth is not abstract. It is not relative. The truth is the word spoken by the Lord Jesus Christ. 
and it is our blessed Redeemer himself. He is the embodiment of truth. And we think of the great attribute of truth. He says, I am the truth. But you think about the word of God here. And we have the scriptures of the Old and New Testament. And as believers, we accept that to be the very truth of God. You think of the New Testament and the 27 books. And it gives testimony to the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in John 20, verses 27 and 28, we read about a man by the name of Thomas. And at first he didn't believe in the resurrection. He was a disciple of the Lord Jesus. But when others said, the Lord is risen indeed, he didn't believe it. But the Lord came and appeared and he said, Reach hither thy finger and behold my hands. And reach hither thy hand and thrust it in my, into my side. And be not faithless, but believing. And when that man saw the risen Christ, he got down on his knees and he cried, My Lord and my God. See, the skepticism was dismissed. The skepticism that he had was overcome by the very presence of the Lord. And you think of the accounts of the resurrection. And these are eyewitness accounts. We are told in the Bible that there were above 500 that saw the Lord Jesus. And we think about the, uh, the characters that surround the death and resurrection. You think of Herod. You think of um, Caiaphas, the high priest. You think of Pilate, the Roman governor. They're all historical figures. This is not mythical. Oh, for a while there, people said there was no Pilate. They said, well, we have never heard about Pontius Pilate until they found an inscription in the ruins of Caesarea and they said, it said Pontius Pilate, governor of Judea. And the Bible always comes out true. Why? Because it is the truth. It's the truth. And my, we have all the eyewitness accounts. And you know, wouldn't it be, wouldn't it have been the thing in that day and still, there were those that had, uh, when the Bible was written, when the New Testament was written, there were still those there who had been eyewitness, had been there. And wouldn't it have been the thing to do to, pro to produce the body of the Lord Jesus Christ or to uh, tell the people or give the evidence that the things had not had taken place? But they couldn't do that. And the disciples died for the testimony that they had. And would they do that for a lie? Would they do that because they had stolen away the body of the Lord Jesus Christ? Dear friend, this is the truth. It is not a myth. It is not a story. It is the very truth of God. And we have the eyewitness testimony to these things. He, he says in John chapter 6 and verse 47, Verily, verily, and as it were, He's adding the amen, the amen there to that in order to even reinforce the truth. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. There is the truth of God. God, uh, the Son, puts his word there. He puts the verily, verily upon it. And dear friend, we have the essence of truth. It's found in the word of God. And is found in the living Savior. 
But they not only have the existence of the truth and the essence of the truth, but the effect of the truth. It sets you free. It sets you free. The word of God and the gospel is a liberating instrument. Oh, how people rejoiced at the end of the world wars. There was freedom. Dear friend, you can have freedom tonight. You can have your soul set free from the bondage of sin. You are no longer, you can be set free from the jackboot of the oppression of sin tonight. And you can go from this meeting rejoicing in the freedom that you can have. So we notice the truth that we can know. But then I want you to see the bondage we endure. Now it says here, the truth shall set you free. Now that means that you're under bondage. It means that if you have to be set free, there is some kind of bondage that you're under. There's a slavery of some sort. You're bound, you're fettered in some way. And the word of God comes to us all today and it speaks about the bondage that we have. We are in bondage to sin. We are in bondage to iniquity. We're in bondage to our own desires. And those desires are towards sin and away from God. And they are desires for rebellion against God. And you're a sinner tonight. But I want you to see the denial of the bondage. I want you to notice that the people that the Lord was talking to denied that they were in bondage. Look at verse 33. It says, they answered him, we be Abram's seed and were never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou ye shall be made free? Now these are the people they're listening here. They, and you notice that they know exactly what the Lord is saying. He's saying they're in bondage and they protest when they hear that he's saying that they're in bondage. They're highly insulted. They are saying, how dare you say that we are in bondage? We are Abram's seed. We were never in bondage to any man. Now the Lord's not speaking historically. And anyway, they were wrong because they were in bondage in Egypt, even if they are speaking about the children of Israel. They were in bondage in Babylon, so it wasn't true that they were never in bondage. But the Lord is not speaking physically here. He's speaking spiritually. And he's saying, you're in bondage. But you know, when I say that you're a sinner tonight, maybe... You are insulted like these people. You say, I, I come from a religious family. I, I go to church. I, I come from a good family. I come from a, a, a respectable uh, stock. And I am upright. And I do uh, what I can to contribute to society and to the community. And even to the church and I go along to church, and I do nobody any harm. How dare you say I'm a sinner? Oh, we can be proud. Proud of our race. Proud of our religion. Proud of our upbringing. And we're like the children of Israel here. How dare you say ye shall be set free? But look at what the Lord said in verse 34. Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, Another statement, one of these verily statements is the truth, and doubly the truth, if you could have that. I say unto you, whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. Do you tell me you never committed a sin? 
You've never lied. You've never stolen anything. Never taken God's name in vain. Never uh, thought a lustful thought. Tell me that you've never sinned. What does it say? He, that whosoever committeth sin, is the servant or the slave of sin. And you may deny your bondage tonight. But the word of God, the truth of God, says that you're in bondage. Not only do we see the denial of the bondage, but the demonstrability of the bondage. Look at verse 34. He says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. So the Lord's making it clear. And that this is an absolutely stupendous statement here. We know, as we say, everyone sins. And so you're in slavery. And that slavery is a power inside us. We're told in Ephesians 2, verses 1 to 3, And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we ordered our conversation in times past, in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh, and of the mind, who were by nature children of wrath, even as others. The great uh, reformer, Martin Luther, wrote a book. He wrote many books, but this was what he regarded as his greatest work. And it was called The Bondage of the Will. And it was an answer to another man by the name of Erasmus, who was asserted, uh, asserting that uh, man... Uh, had freedom of choice. He could choose what is right and what is good. But Luther and Calvin and the other reformers said that there was an underestimate of the human will and the human, uh, the desperate condition that is in man because there is nothing, nothing in man that can never in any way look to God. The carnal mind is enmity against God and is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. And dear friend, you are bound. Look at the depth of this bondage. Sin binds in two ways. There's the domination of sin in that it produces the way that we act. Our sinful nature makes us act sinfully. We have sinful desires sinful thoughts, sinful will. And because it is our nature, our sinful nature, we do not and cannot resist it. There's the domination of sin, but also there's a damnation of sin. And sin has you in bondage because it's taking you down to a place where you will be bound for all eternity. And dear friend, there is the bondage that you are suffering today, the bondage that we endure. And I want you to see that you're in bondage tonight. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed, but the truth shall make you free. Are you free tonight? Or do you have to say that you're in bondage? But one more thing I want you to see, and that's the freedom that we anticipate. Look at verse 32. He says the truth will make you free. The Son will make you free indeed. 
And I want you to see the scope of the freedom. It's freedom indeed. It's freedom to the uttermost. Freedom beyond anything that you can ever imagine. It's freedom from the penalty of sin. We know that the wages of sin is death. Sin is bringing you down to damnation. But the Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross of Calvary and shed his precious blood that you might have freedom from the penalty of sin. He took our penalty. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. You can be healed. You can have freedom from the penalty of sin. You can have freedom from the problem of sin, the problem of guilt and shame. Oh, dear friend, do you feel the shame? Do you remember those things that you've done, those things that you've thought, those actions that you were involved in, and from time to time they come to your mind, and you feel that shame and that guilt, and countless times you're overcome by that feeling of only I had not done that, the past moments, the shameful moments, and maybe you're overwhelmed by guilt and shame. Dear friend, if you will repent tonight, if you will come to the Lord Jesus Christ, he will put your sins under the precious blood of Christ. And you can be free from the problem of sin, the problem of shame and guilt. And you can be free from the power of sin. We think of how the Lord has made us new creatures. That power of the human will that makes us sin and we cannot resist. Thank God the Lord Jesus gives us new life. We become new creatures in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are born again and the power and the dominion of sin is broken. It says in Galatians 3 and 13, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. And he frees us from the domination of sin in your life. And we see the scope of freedom. It's freedom indeed. But also look at the source of real freedom. If the Son, therefore, shall make you free. It's the Lord Jesus, and only the Lord Jesus Christ, that can give you this freedom. I was uh, looking at a wee piece that John Piper had written, and he, I just want to quote it. It's, it spoke, so it speaks about four kinds of freedom. And he said this, if you don't, he, he said that to be completely free, you need four things. And he said, you, to be free indeed, you need the desire, the ability, the opportunity to leave, uh, to do what uh, will leave you no regrets forever. And he said, if you don't have the desire to do a thing, you're not free to do it. You don't have freedom. You might muster the power, but if you don't want to do a thing, you're never going to do it. You're not free. He said, you might have the desire to do a thing, but you don't have the ability to do it. And if you don't have the ability to do it, you're not free. You're not free to do the thing. You might have all the desires in the world, but if you don't have the ability, you can't do it. He said, you might have the desire and the ability to do it, 
But if you don't have the opportunity, then you aren't free to do the thing. You need the desire, you need the ability, and you need the opportunity. But then he says, if you have the desire and the ability and the opportunity, and you do the thing, and the thing destroys you, and the thing makes you end up in a place where you are not fully free, then that's not freedom. And so, the conclusion that he comes to is that only the Lord Jesus Christ can make you fully free. Because you might have the desire and the ability and the opportunity to do what you want. But if that's a sinful thing, lands you in a Christless eternity, you are not free. If the Son, therefore, shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. Dear friend, that's a treasure worth having. That is something we think of those that fought for freedom, but this is full freedom, real freedom. This is eternal freedom that we're talking about tonight. Will you come and be free? Did you ask earlier on that God would show you the truth? And has God begun to reveal his truth to you? And you begin to realize that all the propaganda of the world and all the propaganda that's around you is fostered by the father of lies. But truth is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, ah, but you Christians are not free. You you, uh, have a set of rules and you can't do this and you can't do that. I'll go on in my own way. I'll do my own thing. Well, dear friend, you can do that. God has given you free will to do that. But I warn you, that you will not end up in freedom at the end of the day. You will end up in eternal bondage. So seek the one who gives the real freedom and be free from your sin and free from your guilt and free for all eternity. May God bless his word and write it upon our hearts for his name's sake. Let's just bow in a word of prayer. We'll not sing the last hymn. Our time has gone. But if God has been speaking to you, maybe you who are tuning in on the internet, others that um, are listening in, oh, that you might find real freedom. We're at this weekend across in many nations celebrating those that give their lives in the cause of freedom. Do you want real freedom? then find it in the Lord Jesus Christ. Our loving God and our gracious Father, we thank Thee for Thy precious word tonight. We thank Thee that whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And, O God, we pray that men and women might come to find that freedom that there is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Bless Thy word to every heart, Impart us in thy fear and with thy blessing. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship and communion of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with thy people both now 
and in the incoming days, for Jesus' sake, amen, amen.